Paul is not without uh, goals and objectives. He has a reason for asking what he asks. And he gives us a so that. Wednesday nights in our prayer time here, we've been uh, kind of dreaming somewhat spiritually, if, if you want to think of it that way. I have asked the question of the group that comes to prayer meeting, what would you love to see God do here? I mean, if you, could, if you could see anything you wanted, knowing that we have an unlimited God, what would you like to see God accomplish in our church? And the second follow-up question is, okay, why? So that. Why do you want to see that happen? What's the goal? And Paul has a reason for praying the way he's praying. He says, I'm praying that uh, you'll, you'll understand the will of God, that you'll have the big picture, that you'll grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. But I'm not just asking that so you'll be smart. I'm praying that for a reason. And the reason begins to unfold in verse 10, and that's where I want us to focus this morning, as he says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, Paul talks a lot about knowledge in his prayer. But when we look at the so that of verse 10, this is what I want to come out of it. We very quickly realize that Paul's goal is not merely education. It's not information, it's transformation. He wants them to have understanding and awareness, spiritual perception. He wants them to to get life, but he wants them to do so in order to change their behavior so that it will have an impact in our lives. And, And that leads me to say to us this morning, God is never in the business of simply informing us of things. You know, I looked up some statistics on the Bible that we often uh, don't think about. I, I wondered how many total chapters are there in the Bible? How many total verses? How many total words? And I looked those things up and you'll find them somewhere on your study guide when you get home and read through them a little bit, read through it a little bit, and you'll find there's, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. God has given us a lot of information. He has told us a lot of things. But none of it is there simply To make us smart. Everything that God says to us, He says to us in order to influence our lives, to change our behavior. God is wanting us to come home to Him. He's wanting to develop Christ-like character in our lives. He gives us information that is intended to transform us. And if you look, uh, for example, if you look in uh, 1 Timothy for a moment, chapter 6, it's just a few pages over in your Bible toward the right. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Uh, Paul says in verse Timothy, in verse 20, chapter 6, verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. You you may find this hard to believe, but it is possible 
to get into a Bible study that will actually lead you away from the, the purity of the faith. Did you know that? You can get involved in a study of Scripture that will take you away from God. In fact, all you have to do is visit the average Bible college or seminary campus and sit in the the canteen or the cafeteria or the coffee shop or whatever they have on campus as a gathering place and talk to some people, and it won't be long before you run across a student or a professor who has lost connection with God, lost relationship with God, in the midst of studying the Bible. And Paul is warning Timothy about this. He says it is possible to get involved in worldly chatter, in arguments, and he's not talking about unbelievers arguing, you know, over uh, some discovery. He's talking about people that are in the church family there arguing about the Scriptures in such a way that their arguments, their wrangling about words, their, their insistence on, uh, you know, just ripping everything apart in an academic fashion is actually going to lead them away from the faith. Um, I remember being in a Bible study my freshman year of college. It was very much like this. It was an after-hours Bible study in the evening. It was led by a professor who had had um, training at, at one of the nation's uh, popular seminaries. And his Bible study was all oriented around the second coming of Christ and, and all the details and, and all the little, uh, you know, sequence of facts and what the bowls were and what the vials were and what the seals were and how that was all going to unfold. And, and, and the whole tone of that study was always argumentative. It was always in in opposition to other people who were stupid. And you could almost gather the, the sense that there was frustration and anger and turmoil uh, even going on in this man's life. And I found myself discouraged because in many ways he had the truth. But there was something about the spirit that was lacking. And that was the part that was distressing. Paul wants us to understand that the purpose of growing in the knowledge of God is in order to see our behavior changed. God never gives us just information, but He does reveal His truth to those who are humble before Him and open to learning. I got an email this uh, past week or so from a friend that was... Uh, writing about some philosophical point or another. And it was, even for him, a tad bit out of character. And as I read the email and listened to some of his comments, it made me sad. And the reason it made me sad is his email was very philosophical and very, um, you know, kind of searching out meaning and truth and whatever like that, and he was talking about philosophy and talking about biology and, and some, some things along those lines. 
And as I, as I read the email, I had this sadness come over me because I realized that here is a person who is very interested in understanding life, very interested in understanding how things function and how life works. But he's trying to come to that understanding without God. And an image popped into my mind. How many of you have ever uh, put together or tried to put together one of those really complicated jigsaw puzzles? I'm talking like 1,500 pieces or more. Where, where they're about this big, you know? And, and, and when, you dump them out, when you dump it out of the box onto the table, what's the first thing you do? Wow. Okay. After after you go, what did I buy? You know. After after you get past that moment, the, you find the edges. You know. Yeah. You got to make the perimeter. You find the edges, and and then what do you do? Color. You know. You start like okay. All the sky pieces are they're blue or gray or whatever it is. You know. And and the building over here is red brick. And you start. You try to organize the pieces so that you can put that jigsaw puzzle together, you know, and it's usually, things like that are usually projects there. They, they stay out on the table for weeks or months or years, however long it takes you, you know, and you're working on that. And the image that came to my mind uh, of, of this friend of mine is, it's like a person trying to put that puzzle together in the dark. Imagine all the lights off. All the pieces are on the table. And the only thing you've got to work with is feel. Now, you might have enough dexterity in your fingers, you should have anyway, that you can be able to figure out which side is up and which side is down. Cardboard is rough, painted surface, photo surface is smooth. You know, you might be able to figure that out. You might be able to find the edge pieces. Every once in a while... People get lucky and actually find two pieces that fit together. And they write a journal article. And it's celebrated in the magazines, in the newspaper. Discovery, you know, because they got two of the pieces together. But trying to figure life out is like trying to put that jigsaw puzzle together in the dark. Without Jesus Christ, that's the approach. God is the one who brings light. In fact, the Scripture says, the entrance of your words, O God, brings light. When you bring the Scriptures to bear, when you, when you have the light of Christ explaining the context, we are able to put life into order and make sense of it because the color is added. The, the shapes can be seen. We can make the arrangements it's, it's a much easier puzzle to solve. And God is willing to share that knowledge and that information. He's willing to bring the light to people who are humble enough to come and say, Oh God, I need your light. I can't figure this out on my own. I need your light. But God is in the business of giving light in that respect to people who are willing to then act on what they see. God does not just want to make you smart. He wants to make you like Christ. He wants you to reflect His, His image. He wants you to, 
to communicate His presence. I have shared with you and asked for prayer for a neighbor who was told back December 11th that he only had about a month to live. He's still living, praise the Lord. And, um, and I try to visit with him when I can. And as we have visited, you know, I mean, for several years, we're just neighbors. Hi, how are you? You know, or I'd see him at McHenry Dam where he likes to fish and I like to take pictures of, of the, you know, the birds and whatever. And, and we would just have that normal neighborly stuff. But now all of a sudden it's crunch time. I mean, life is very quickly oriented around priority. You only have a month to live. And what do we talk about? We talk about heaven. We, we, we talk about eternal life. Now the, the real nitty-gritty is, is coming home to bear. And when I started visiting with him in this context, I asked him if I could pray with him. And quite honestly, hardly anyone will turn down an offer to pray. Every once in a while, someone will say, no thanks. But most of the time, people are willing to have you pray for them. And so, I've made it a habit when I have a visit, and we, and we have a conversation uh, to pray with them as, as a family, whoever's there, to pray together and to pray. And, 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 I, and I don't know how to do the mumbo-jumbo liturgical stuff, you know. I speak to God like a man speaks to his friend. God invites us into that relationship. And I just, I just come to my Heavenly Father and I bring my friend. And I talk to God about him in his presence. And the other day, uh, Rowena had the opportunity to take over uh, some, some breads that she had made and just to say hi. And, and they said, you know, we really, really appreciate Paul's visits. I, I'm not saying this to blow my trumpet. What I, I, I'm want, trying to make a point here. It's not my visit they appreciate. It's Jesus coming into their situation and touching them, they appreciate. They, they may not recognize it, but that's what they like. To be in touch with God. And friends, the whole point of this process of growing in the knowledge of God is so that we can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects, so that our lives actually reflect His presence. Religious people could not stand Jesus. I mean, you read the Gospels, and He was always having trouble with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and, and the religious, uh, legalistic people of His day. They were the ones that were giving Him all the grief. But it's interesting who was drawn to the holiest life that ever walked this planet? Drunkards and swindling tax collectors and prostitutes and down and out people and the sick and, and the needy. They were drawn to Jesus. They found that He was approachable. How is it that Jesus, who had no sin in his life, could be so winsome. 
to people whose lives were filled with sin? How, how was it that they were drawn to Him instead of repelled by Him? And, and one of the key differences is, is in the humility of, of the approach, the honesty. You know, sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the time, we have to come to God just like we are. But the thing that was drawing to them was that He was there loving them, caring for them, dying for them. That would come in due time. And they were drawn to His presence. Friends, our lives are filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, communicating the presence of God, and people should be drawn to us in the same way. That Paul says, I'm praying that you'll get the big picture. I'm praying that you'll have understanding. I'm praying that the jigsaw puzzle will come together for you in the global, eternal sense, so that your life will be different. So that you will live life on purpose. So that you will live life under the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that you will walk worthy of the Lord. That your life will begin to reflect Jesus Christ, pleasing Him in all respects, and bearing fruit in every good work. Now, let's think about fruit bearing for a moment. Because it's interesting to me that Paul says, bearing fruit in every good work. That's a part of his prayer. I want your good works to be fruit bearing. Did you know it's possible to do good works that have no fruit? It's entirely possible to be engaged in good deeds that have zero benefit or significance. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says every one of us one day is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ for those who are followers of Christ is not a judgment to determine your eternal destiny. Our eternal destiny has already been sealed We have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. We are kept by the power and the love of God. Nothing can separate us from His love. We are in Christ in a secure position. But Paul says what is going to be evaluated at that judgment is not whether we go to heaven or hell. That's the decided factor. What's going to be evaluated at that judgment is the quality of our life. And I had a thought in the middle of bringing this message the last hour that just hit me right in the middle of the sermon. I've never thought of it before. Don't take it home and build a theology out of it because I'm not even sure if it's true. But I'm going I'm to just throw it out at you for what it's worth because it intrigued me. As I was talking on this particular verse, it occurred to me, we're going to be given crowns at that same event. I mean, all through the millennial reign of Christ... The, the, the redeemed of Christ are going to wear crowns of some sort. And when it's all said and done, at the very end of time as we know it, we're going to cast those crowns at His feet. Because ultimately they represent what He has done in our lives. And it, and, and it made me wonder if 
the crowns aren't going to come out of what's left when our lives are tested by fire. Because Paul says there's going to be six potential building blocks of your life that are going to be evaluated. And they're going to be evaluated because God's going to take your life's works, all your good deeds, and He's going to put them in the fire. And whatever was wood, hay, and straw is going to burn up. And whatever's gold and silver and precious stone is going to survive. It'll come out of the refinement of the fire and it will survive. And that will be the, the reward at the judgment seat of Christ. So you see how, how this thing went off in my head. Maybe what comes out is what's gonna, what our crown's going to be made out of. You know? And I wonder how many of us are going to need hairpins <laughs> to hold this little thing up on top. You know? Or, or maybe some super glue to attach it to some of the remaining strands. What, you know, because it's going to be little. Or will it be big enough to fit around our head with a peak and jewels in the I don't know. But the scripture is, is that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the question is, what is the intrinsic worth of the product of your life? And fortunately, there's no mystery as to what the gold and silver and precious stone is versus what the haywood and stubble is. Because Jesus says, if you abide in me, and I am living through you, I'm abiding in you, you will bear fruit. Your life will be a fruit-bearing life. It'll be productive. If you're trying to do it on your own, if you're just doing your own thing... It's not going to amount to anything. Because the reality is, is that only what God does has eternal significance. What we do in our own pathetic effort has no eternal value. And of course, aside from the whole issue of of good deeds, people waste an awful lot of their lives. We were having a conversation at the dinner table last night, and my son uh, John was telling me about some guy in a Call of Duty in the online uh, game, you know. Some guy who had racked up already a month of hours. It always tells you online how many hours you've actually been engaged in the Call of Duty game. That's 24 hours times 30 you know, and, I, and I'm thinking, wow, what a waste. I mean, I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with entertainment once in a while. I mean, we, we've got to have a little uh, balance in our lives. But good heavens, how much time does that represent, you know, doing this? I'm not sure how many, you know, how much gold and silver. I'm not sure if any gold and silver and precious stones is going to come out of, out of this. Some people just fritter their life away. But it's actually possible to be engaged in what appears to be good works and have nothing to show for it in the end. Some people think, and 
there are, it's interesting, a few years ago I read an article about very wealthy people who are Christians, who get together periodically in kind of a conference. They go to a retreat center and they talk about how to invest their money. And I'm talking about believers who are worth hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars. And they, and they talk about what to do with their money because, believe it or not, I'm sure it's not hard to believe, everybody wants a piece of it. Every Christian organization on the planet wants to get in their pocket. And the question is, where do we put it? <clears throat> what do we do with it? And so, you know, they, they try to figure, well, at least they're believers and they're trying to figure out where to invest it. But think about unbelievers who are taking their wealth and investing it in what appears to be good causes in humanitarian uh, projects. But without Jesus Christ. And, and, and for what other reason? And, and what all is mixed in in the motivation? And when you come to the end of the journey, and you find out that it's all been for nothing, because it was never empowered and born and driven by the Spirit of God who gives life. Jesus said, if you want to be a fruit-bearing person, you must abide in me. You must allow my Holy Spirit to work through you. If you don't want to just spin your wheels, if you want to have an impact, if you want to be effective, you have to rely on me. And allow me to live my life through you. And so Paul says, I'm praying for you that as you, as you get this understanding of the will of God and you grow in, in, in spiritual wisdom and knowledge, that what will happen is your life will change. Now that you have a better understanding of what it's all about, you will live your life on purpose in dependence upon God. That you will grow in Him and in your walk with Him. And that you will be pleasing to Him in all respects. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work as you invest your time and invest your life. Can... Can I just talk to you for a minute? Because we're always separating spirituality from life. You know, people think spirituality is what goes on here. And now i got to go live my life, and well, that's just, you know, that's just work and whatever. And... I really, because this is a lie of the devil, I really wish we could understand that spirituality for the child of God is everything you do. Now, I'm not saying everything you do is spiritual, because you may not, you know, it may be this, but spirituality happens all week long. It's Christ living in me. You're the temple of God. You have His Spirit. Everywhere you go, you take Him. And if He's living through you, that is a spiritual event. And God has given us talents and aptitudes. I'm not talking about spiritual gifts now. I'm talking about what you do well. 
what you like to do, what you're good at, how you're trained. God has given you those things. And they're sacred investments in your life. And when you're doing them, if the Holy Spirit of God is living in you and through you, that is a spiritual moment. It was while Moses was shepherding sheep that he encountered a burning bush. It wasn't when he was in church. He was shepherding sheep when he encountered a burning bush. And in that experience, he met the living God because that was a transformational moment. On the other side of the coin, I heard many years ago a story of R.G. Letourneau Sr., who was invited to participate with a group of engineers in trying to solve a problem with some machinery that was being used in World War II. And they needed some engineers that had understanding of big earth-moving type equipment to, to bring their knowledge to bear and to solve some problems that they were encountering because the equipment was not working in the hostile environments of a war theater. And when it came time for Sunday, here he is in Washington meeting in this think tank. And they were going to convene again the next morning, Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. <laughs> And Laterno said, I'll be there after church. It's like, how can you do that? That's, that's like not being patriotic. I mean, here, here we're convened for this purpose, and we need you, and how dare you set aside this highly important duty and go to church? But he felt strongly convicted that that's where he needed to be. It was the appointed time for corporate worship. So he went to church, and while he was in the middle of the service, an idea came to his mind that he penciled on the bulletin. And it's okay, if God gives you an idea while I'm preaching, you can write it down. And this idea came to mind, and, <laughs> and he went back to the meeting and shared the insight that had come to him in a time of worship. And it led them to a solution of the problem. Friends, you put God first. You make Him first. And every activity is spiritual. You can't, you can't separate. You, there is no secular life for you if you're a Christian. It is all sacred. It all belongs to Him. And in every situation, God wants to live through you in such a way that He is touching people. And, and you may not even be, quote, witnessing. We always think, well, witnessing is I'm telling people about John 3.16. You know, I'm, I'm quoting the Bible to them and telling them how to get saved. You may be just doing what you do well. And there's something about your life that draws people to you. They sense God going on in there somewhere. That's, that's what Paul is praying for the Colossians. The, the, this wasn't a church full of preachers. These were sandal makers and tent makers and produce growers that were in the marketplace. This is the Colossians. And he says, I want your life to be such that you bear fruit in every single good work. And when you do that, 
when you come before the Lord and you ask Him to make sense of your life, to explain the meaning, to, to live through you every single day, you grow in the knowledge of God. Because God tells the person who listens with an obediently ready heart and a willing spirit. God will confide in you. He will tell you what He's up to. And as He shares that with you, and you make yourself available to Him, you get to know Him. And so Paul says it's almost like full circle. As you live this way, you grow in the knowledge of God. Please don't think that if you were as spiritual as you could possibly be, you'd be weird. Don't most people think that? Spiritual people are weird. If you were as spiritual as you could possibly be, you would probably be one of the most approachable, likable, desirable people in any context. As was Jesus. You're not going to act weird. People are going to be drawn to you. For one thing, there's a humility that comes with true spirituality that, that never puts people off, that never judges them. Don't, don't be mistaken. Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords, will one day judge. But as He walked this planet in human form, His purpose was not judgment. He said that in John three seventeen and 8. I didn't come to condemn the world. I didn't come to judge. The world's already in trouble. I came to save. And, and if you are truly a spiritual person... Your humility, your natural humility, will make you approachable. Because you don't judge people. You don't predetermine what they're like. You don't make assumptions. You will be one of the most valuable people in the group. And you don't have to compromise when Jesus is really coming through. And that's what Paul was saying. I, I want you to really get it so that your walk will reflect the love and the presence and the glory of God and that everything you do will bear fruit because it is born of the Spirit. Father, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts, that we would be that kind of person that... Our hunger for you, our thirst for you, our willingness to follow you is reflected in everything we do in life. I ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.